0: Welcome to The Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success in your business on this week's episode of the impact sessions i've got paul Lillywhite from Lillywhite consultancy paul's talking about the science behind people development from recruitment retention and development hope you enjoy the podcast So this week on the Impact Sessions, I'm delighted to invite Paul Lillywhite from Lillywhite Consultancy Limited as my guest. Uh, welcome to the Impact Sessions, Paul.
1: Morning, Nick. Thank you.
0: Okay. Well, what I thought we'd title this week is the power of understanding the people in your business. You're very much a, a people person. You're very much a, a science behind the people person and you've got a lot of experience and skills. I think that our audience would uh, benefit from understanding and hearing about if that's Okay.
1: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah.
0: Excellent. Let's crack through a few questions. So um, you introduce your services as uh, working to maximise the effectiveness of your people. Uh, do you want to expand on what that means and what engaging your services would do around that then?
1: Yeah, certainly. It um, it really starts a long time before I, I learnt about psychometrics. I, mm. I went into my father's firm when I was 15. Right. Uh, and when you go into a family business at that age, if you don't... Respect other people, you can have a little bit of a problem, <laughs> uh, and that was certainly the case. So, I've always learnt from a very early age that you, you need to be able to modify your behaviour sometimes, perhaps bite your lip occasionally, mm-hmm. um, and that takes skill and practice. Uh, my my last seventeen years with a psychometric provider has meant that I've gotten to understand the science behind that, mm. and so. Um when you're in business and I did 17 odd years retail selling right yeah <laughs> wow tough you gig. you um you learn to to be able to to swing with the punches a little bit and that's really where it comes from so maximizing the potential people I, I don't believe that anybody gets out of bed in the morning thinking I'm going to come and do a rubbish day at work mm. I don't think that's their intention but things happen, yep. situations happen, that there's always going to be a reason behind it. And mm. my my job with the clients I'm working with is to understand really what makes those people tick, mm. Maybe with assessments, may not be with assessments. Okay. So um, some, some of it's soft skill stuff and some of it's science-based it's
0: a combination of... Of the right tools to assess and understand the, the dynamics of those people, then.
1: Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you look at beha- a very popular assessment is around behaviors, mm-hmm. but behaviors are driven by the environment that people find themselves in. Some people find them as a, as a sort of hostile situation and they'll react accordingly, mm. fight or flight. Others will see them as favorable and deal with them in a, in a far more pleasant way.
0: Okay. So you work with individuals, but you also work with teams. Then, um, in, ter- in terms of that, um, wh- why would why would the signs of a psychometric help with sort of team development? From I guess from recruitment right through to sort of developing their their uh, career paths.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It, I think what what people don't re- everybody's different. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> thankfully, yeah, thankfully, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're very complex and we're very complicated. Mm. Um, and some, some, you know, self-awareness for me isn't perhaps as common as people think it is. Mm. We did an Next, exercise yesterday morning, didn't we, at a networking event.
0: Um, and I just simply asked people to write down the three things that they would be described as most regularly. Some people really struggled just even thinking about that. It was almost really uh, a frightening experience. So self-awareness isn't always the thing oh, you right, aren't you? Massively.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've run assessments for 17 odd years. You, you sit down with somebody and you start talking to them about what they've produced. And mm. they are self-assessment. The behavioural assessments we use are, are, are self-assessment. Mm. And they'll say, that's not me. That just isn't me. And you say, but it is. Mm. Why don't we bring a colleague in and have a chat? You know, And the, the colleague will say, that's them to a T. Mm. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> right. And, and that,
0: as a starting point, it's so, not a bad place to be. But. So,
1: yeah, certainly, you know, when you become, in the retail business especially, you can be a really good uh, merchandiser mm. display person and all of a sudden you're put in charge of a shop you put yeah. in charge of a it you have no idea how to manage people mm. so assessments can help in that degree self-awareness for me would always be the starter to actually sit down with somebody and say do you really understand who you are do you know what your motivators are mm. do you know what you like you don't like and then you can start to progress and say you know everybody's different And you can create a
0: path for them to maximise their performance, I guess, on that basis, yeah.
1: Create a path and create a common language that Mm. that people can communicate with. Because in every diagnostic I've ever done with a team, communication will always be in the top three issues. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I guaranteed.
0: Work, I work across all sorts of sectors and industries and businesses, and and I would say that I would absolutely concur with that. <laughs> with that one, yeah, very very common that uh, that it's it's the issue that needs to be uh, addressed. The um, I mean, in terms of if I had a pound for every time a senior or experienced sales representative was promoted to become sales manager. And then saw the whole sales team fall apart because they don't have the skills to manage the team, communicate effectively. Um, and you also lose their, their their sales on the road, as it were. And then you wonder why they do that. But lots of businesses oh. promote and go, oh, he or she's really good at selling. Let's make him sales manager with no real thought process for the, the two jobs are very different animals, aren't
1: they? Yeah. Is that common? You it, see that kind yeah. of thing happen? Massively, massively. I mean, it's Peter's principle in reality. Mm. I don't know whether you've come across that before. But but, a long time ago, you want to explain that yeah, for me? Peter's principle basically is saying, you know, you're promoted to beyond your capabilities. So <laughs> yeah, I do remember that, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you start in life, you, you take a sales example, you're good at selling, mm. you earn good money, mm. it's usually commission type based work. Yeah. And the motivator is, you know, and then you're offered a manager's role where actually potentially you can earn less. Yeah. But there's other incentives. But not everybody wants those incentives. So again, it goes back to what your motivators are, what drives you, mm. what you really enjoy doing. Um, yeah, you know, I've been in a sales environment for a long, long time. I've been a sales director. Some people just say we don't want the responsibility of people. No. A very good friend of mine, many, many years ago, um, he was an engineer, really important job, really good at his job. Mm. Then he was put into manage a team of five or six. I think he lasted about three or four months and just said, this isn't for me. Not for me. So not only did they lose a superb engineer, you know, they then had already to start backed, all over again. Well, they've backfilled
0: his job by then. Yeah. Somebody else has taken, so you can't really take a step exactly. back, can you, in those situations. So, yeah. No, yeah. He,
1: he just called it a day altogether. Wow,
0: um, okay. It's probably preempted my next question, which was, why do you think so many organisations still get the people side wrong? Um, and what could they or should they be doing differently? But we've touched on some of those. Are there any other things that you see commonly that are, you know, fairly obvious to someone with your experience, but you'd say, why do they do that?
1: I think in, from a recruitment perspective, I think the initial stage with the recruitment process is understand what the requirements of the job are. And if you're a recruiting manager, could you do the job? That's your first question. Mm. If the answer is yes, I could do the job. I've done it in the past, I could do it again. Mm. Then The other element that a lot of people do is they recruit in their own image. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So people like people like themselves. Yes. That is great if you could do the job. And if that's what you're looking for. Exactly. So if you're looking for a a line manager that um, you've done the role, you understand the requirements of the role, you can go and find somebody similar to yourself. Mm. And the likelihood is they will like the role as well. Mm if you're recruiting for an administrative type role or let's say a financial director mm. and it's the worst job you would ever wish to do in a million years why would you go and find somebody like you you'd like them mm. but there wouldn't be effective. but the necessary is they're not going to have the right behavioral style mm. they might have the skills but they won't have the behavioral style
0: I I get invited by some of my clients to get involved in recruiting their sales professionals simply because the senior management team might come from a a completely different background to the sales function. So they might be operational or creative or whatever it might be. And they see the salespeople as alien and and different. And it's great that they they recognize that because I can come in as a sales professional and actually recruit and help them to recruit for kind of what they're looking for, not, you know, what what they don't want cuz they actually in some cases would look at somebody and go I'm not sure I'd get on with them well that's okay because actually the reality is it's not about getting on with them it's are they the right person for the job so so you science is behind that and the yeah. process behind that so yeah. so Lily White's a fairly new development um been going since the, sort of middle of this year um and you develop programs around managing change and staff engagement well-being improving personal performance that kind of thing um how do you go about designing the right process um, across such a range of, of, of uh, offers that exceed the expectations of clients? Because clients are very demanding in 2019, aren't they? In terms of that instant gratification and returned investment and that kind of thing, how do you go about? Talk us through the Lily, the Lily White approach. I think the important thing is listen.
1: Mm-hmm. The important thing is you know that there is nothing pre preempted. I will sit down with the client. I'll have a conversation. I'll get to understand what they're looking for doing, mm. what they're wanting to achieve, what their expectations are, who who the group is. Mm. You know, You talk about salespeople; they're very different to uh, telesales, mm. for example. Inbound, outbound—it's a different personality. It's a different style. So it's about sitting and listening. Um, which for a lot of salespeople is quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Two ears, one mouth, but you kind of got that the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah. It's about listening, it's about asking the right questions, mm-hmm. and then it's about going away and formulating a plan, whether it be a one-day project, whether it be over six months, six days, ten days, whatever it might be, mm. and develop it accordingly. Okay. Um,
0: what is there any suspicion still around the science, the psychometric stuff, the... You know, when you say to somebody in, in, who's been quite traditional about their approach to recruitment, development, you know, personal development plans, those kind of things, say, well, actually, I'd like to throw some psychometric into into the mix. Do you, do, you, know, do you get reactions that are still a bit odd in 2019?
1: One of the reasons I set this business up, Nick, was it, it's frightening how many people use assessments but don't fully understand what their value is. Mm. So they'll get an assessment, they'll get a written report, and it will say things that, you know, nothing is 100% accurate. And I think that's very important when you look at things. It's not an exact science. Mm. There are grey areas. And somebody may read it. And, for example, a, a, an often trait is it may say that individual is stubborn. Mm. They don't like the word stubborn. They like strong-willed. They like persistent. Plain-spoken plain and all that kind of yeah? Yeah. But stubborn is just a little bit too far. Mm. So if they just read that... It can be misconstrued, and they can just say, that isn't for me. That assessment is not accurate. Mm. My my role is to actually have the conversation, mm. to ask the question, say, okay, you are persistent, though. Yes, yeah, certainly I am. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, okay. So another word for persistent, another word for strong-willed, may be stubborn. It's a word. Yeah. But out of the nine, ten pages of this document that we've now got in front of us, how much of it do you agree with? 80%. percent mm. Brilliant,
0: okay. But they were
1: stuck on the word
0: stubborn. Uh, If if they were just reading the report themselves, their natural reaction is, that's not me, the rest of it's rubbish.
1: I have had people say, this is rubbish for one word. Wow. I don't believe in this document for one word.
0: Wow, okay. There's a little bit of education to go into that process, isn't there? So, so. As part of what you're doing for your business, obviously you're delivering for clients. Are you... On some kind of mission yourself to educate people about science-based sort of uh, evaluations. Anyway, you know, when you're, are you are an advocate for the for the sector and the industry, then
1: uh, I'm a one-man band. Mm. But in reality, I'm very passionate about making sure that people get the best value for what they do. They're not free. Mm. Yeah, you can get free ones. The the information that they give will be limited, I guess, but, and a,
0: and also dangerous if they are just used by somebody inexperienced or, or not qualified in exactly. how those reports are presented. Because then you get the situation, don't they, where people have a disagreement on one element of it and the whole thing is sort of thrown out with the maybe with the bathwater really. So
1: indeed. And I think the other element, Nick, is it's it's very important that it's part of a process. Psychometric assessments, whether it behavioural, whether it emotional, whether it ability. Mm. Uh, the ability one often scares a lot of people away. Um, but is that a step too far for people to to be self
0: aware to that level? then, do you think
1: the, the interesting thing is the 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 quicker learners usually know, mm. so they love what when you're feeding back to them. The slower learners see it as a problem, and it isn't a problem. Mm. It just you know it's it's the the old analogy of a, a let's say a Morris Minor and a Ferrari. Mm. One goes a lot quicker than the other. They can go both from London to Leeds. Yeah, just get there slower. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Mm. But what is important, and we go back to that issue about getting things wrong, if you, if you are somebody who learns quickly and you have a certain behavioural preference that doesn't deal with um, or you're quite impatient, mm. you don't always realise that the person that you're working with takes that little bit extra time. Mm. So many, many years ago, again, in another story, um, there was somebody brought into the into a business. They were brought into the senior management team because they were really good at what they do. We go back to Peter's problem. Yeah, yeah. And they were struggling, and nobody could understand why this person wasn't performing
0: in the management team in, and within dynamics, the team. Within the team
1: dynamics, he yeah, really yeah. struggled. We did some analysis, and we did do a assessment based on looking around his his ability and his speed of learning. Mm. And he was very slow at numeracy. Right, numbers was not his thing. And of course, when you come into a management meeting, at some point, the FD fires out the P and L mm. and the balance sheet.
0: There's a spreadsheet on the board on the wall, and
1: crunching numbers all over the yeah. place. And yeah. yeah, and he really struggled with that. He really struggled. So his way of dealing with that was shutting down what everything else then so everything else. Yeah, so he would sit in a board meeting and, and a management meeting at the end of the month and just be quiet mm. once we'd understood it once I'd spent some time with them and said "Yeah, I, I can see that numbers are a problem we put a little exercise in place where the FD issued him with the P&L and the balance sheet a couple of days before the meeting mm. sat down and them, said if you've got any queries or questions just come and ask mm. you know we, we can sort it out the guy's behavior in those meetings changed Straight away.
0: Because he'll have been then performing to his level in the role that he was involved in for that why he's on the why he's on the senior leadership team in the first place, then wasn't
1: he? Indeed. Yeah. yeah. But equally it removed the pressure and as his perception, the hostility, his perception was I don't understand the numbers, therefore I need to keep quiet. Mm. Remove that problem, he becomes himself.
0: And and sometimes it's not about removing the problem, just being aware of the problem, isn't it, exactly. really? And yeah. I, I've I've I had the privilege of working with lots of organisations over the years. Some use psychometrics, some haven't, and you know, the team dynamic ones always fascinate me because it is about raising awareness of your colleagues, isn't it? It's about raising awareness of their um, strengths and weaknesses, and then if you know about it, you can modify either behaviour, communication, language, etc., that kind of thing with them. So, yeah. what what have you got any other examples of? Because that's a really practical example of of something very small that can be done. With such a big impact on an individual, any other examples in your sort of career of of where you know using this kind of assessment, whether it's you know uh, psychometric or behavioral, whatever it might be, has had such a you know a simple a uh, uh, result.
1: I can I can see them nearly every business I go into, mm. and it, and it is fascinating. I'm, I'm concentrating at the moment with SMEs. Right. I like working with owner managers. I what think,
0: sort of level then, Paul, in terms of numbers of people? Would you uh, would you say between ten to
1: fifty, something like that? Uh-huh um because it, it, you get really quick wins mm. without all the uh, larger organisations There tends to be a lot more politics yeah yeah um and you've got a lot more hurdles to jump over whereas within the SMEs you know change, it, change that example would make so much difference mm. to the performance of that management team yeah overnight you ask for another example um communication and understanding is always going to be there. I had some work with a management team a few years ago where nine out of the ten sat around the table were very dominant profiles. Wow, well, alpha male and alpha they female were, They types, were very yeah. direct, male and female, yeah, yeah. but they were very direct, they were very competitive, they were very challenging. The reason I was sat there, the MD actually said to me when we were having the conversation about, you know, why do you want to run this programme? I can't trust the people around this table, in case they want to get one over on me and they want my job. Wow. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a culture <laughs> for growth, is it, really? you'd say They want yeah. my job. So I say, okay, let's get them together. Let's have this understanding. Nine out of the ten, very dominant profiles. The tenth person, we got, I don't know, we started nine, nine, 15. Mm. About half ten, we stopped for a coffee. There was one person in the room, hadn't even said hello, hadn't made any acknowledgement to the process. Came back after coffee and said, look, before we start session two, I want this gentleman here to tell us who he is, tell us what he does, and let's have a conversation about from his perspective. Mm. He was the finance director. Wow. And he was not allowed to speak. And I turned to the MD and said, look, you know, this guy is very important yeah, to crucial, your operation. Crucial. This guy is very, very important. And there's nine people around this table not listening, Mm. and not allowing him to speak. So another, you know, if you you want your sort of tips and hints, is if you have somebody like that, they will be afraid, they will not feel comfortable raising their voice above the rest of the room. Mm. So as a manager, as a leader, you have a responsibility to say, okay, let's quiet everything down and let's so allow everybody in the room to have mm. a voice.
0: And that's facilitating that, isn't it, as well? There's as a, as a, as a, as a real skill having somebody externally do that rather than let it evolve naturally. Because evolving naturally, you've got nine powerful voices yeah. and, and one not. So that that's never gonna change unless somebody external facilitates
1: it. No, that. no, no, definitely. I mean, I've, I've had scenarios where I've actually had to remove somebody out of the room. Mm. <laughs> well, for being too dominant or Be, too... Being too dominant, Opinionated <laughs> is the word, isn't
0: it? <laughs> having an opinion's great. Being opinionated, not so much, really. Indeed. Yeah, Yeah. okay. I like the sweet spot that you mentioned, sort of starting at 10 and upwards, because what often happens with the sort of small, medium enterprise businesses is someone starts a business um, either accidentally or deliberately in a particular field, and then suddenly, for an opportunity or otherwise, it grows quite quickly. And that can really scare people, can't it? And then the bit that they haven't got the handle on, they might be very operationally efficient, they might be making a good product, they might be delivering fantastic customer service. But their internal people are, 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 are the big problem at that stage, aren't they? Because they haven't invested the time. So, um, you know, if you're advising a, a business on a growth spurt, is that when they should be really looking at things either before the growth or mid-growth?
1: Very much so. And, and the importance is so more significant. So if you're a team of eight and you bring on another person, mm. the importance of getting that person right is absolutely fundamental. Mm. If you've got 800 and you bring in another two or three in... yeah. They're going to get lost, mm. and you often find in the in the larger businesses you can get little pockets of people that are are in their own little world, mm. and they go unnoticed. But in a small business, one you can't afford it; it's too much. Yeah, yeah.
0: Too much of a risk percentage wise, isn't it? Really, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but equally, the other important thing I would say when we look at recruiting people into small businesses, there is a another sort of pressure in terms of. Oh, they've been they've been in a large organisation. They've done really well. They're a professional. They're, mm. they're used to everything. Let's bring them in. But the environment and the culture of a small business. yeah, you know, I've worked in family businesses. I started with my father, as I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, I've worked in small businesses. I've worked in large businesses. My preference, personal preference, mm. is to work in a smaller personal business where there isn't all the politics. Yeah, you got you got a, a line of sight to decision making and all that in, kind indeed. of thing. Yeah, indeed. And you have the autonomy. Hmm. Some people like it, some people don't. The important thing is to make sure that you get the right person. Mm. You know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of recruitment companies and a lot of recruiters, and they develop a skill. They probably don't need assessments mm. because they've developed a skill. But for for Mr. Joe Bloggs just running his business or her business, mm. they need some help very often. And I think psychometrics can just give them that edge. It, it's not just at recruitment, though, is it? It's about no, it's recruitment, it. it's about retention,
0: it's about development. So do you want to give us an insight into how the science of a, of, of a psychometric approach can help someone's career development and career path then?
1: But, I mean, the important thing is people change mm. and job roles change. So, so when, I, when I'm doing, say I'm doing a development programme with somebody, I, I will ask them, they, they, let's say they've been in the job 18 months. I say, okay, can you remember back to your first day? When you started mm. and say, yeah, yeah, I remember we got shown around, we did all the intros, we did the bits and pieces. I say, okay, come forward 18 months. Is the job the same? Is the job you're doing now the same as the job you started 18 months ago? And that you applied for. And <laughs> you applied for. And invariably 99% of the time say, no, it isn't. Mm. Okay, let's explore why it's not the same. And it will either be that the environment of the culture of the business they've moved into – has rubbed off Mm. and they've changed their style or they've put their style onto the job. Mm. But it's different. Yeah. It it can only be one or the two though, can't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's one or the other. Mm. But not many people actually go into that depth of thinking. Mm. It's just a job.
0: Yeah, and they are sort of just become when well, I just go to work and get on with it kind of thing. They don't think about it, do they really?
1: No. Okay. So so that for me is, is probably the main thing. Is getting them to understand what the job role is, mm. making sure that they, they fit and then say, okay, where do we move next? Mm. What do we need to do? If somebody has has a slower brain and, and doesn't learn as quickly, there'll be there'll be smaller steps. Mm. If somebody is exceptionally bright, again, um I recruited for a new CEO eight, nine years ago, mm. I had two candidates. One was 55th percentile, mm. which means they would slap bang in the middle. Yeah. The other was 95th percentile. Right. My recommendation to the board was they took the 55th percentile. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Because he'd been in the business. He was already in the business. Right. And he understood how that business worked. Mm. The 99th, 95th percentile sorry, was an accountant. Right. Very good accountant. Very bright. Very bright, very quick. Mm. I interviewed them both. One of the comments from the 95th percentile was, I've never been a chief exec before. I've never been a manager. I quite like that. I'd like that on my CV. Mm. In my mind, that isn't the right reason to take on the job. No. They took him on. I'm assuming this this doesn't
0: go go well. It doesn't (laughs)
1: go well. They took him on on the understanding... This guy is in the top 5% yeah. in terms of speed of learning. Yeah. He's a genius. Right. He's very good. Yeah, he's bright. But is he right for this business? It was a manufacturing business. Right. He lasted three months mm. and cost the business an absolute fortune. Right. In terms of making sure he could exit appropriately. Um, he didn't lose. No. The business lost. They also lost the other chap. Who, when he didn't get the job, decided move to a competitor? Yeah, I mean it, it,
0: it's it's a fairly common tale, isn't it? And 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 going back to the sales environment, um, salespeople always interview well, or should actually, they should always interview well. They all nearly all do. Um, so if you're not used to recruiting salespeople, you will be blown away by someone's ability to present or ability to articulate uh, your offering or, you know, understand why customers should buy for you and all that kind of thing. And you go, oh, wow, this person's great. But the amount of people who then come into a role and they're just the wrong fit, culturally the wrong fit, operationally, they, I, I, the amount of people who go into a sales role and say, well, I would sell, but I need a new website. I need a new this, I need a new that. And you, and they, they're demanding their requirements before they become successful. is ridiculous. That's down to poor recruitment in the first place, looking for... What we're actually recruiting for, what the gap is, that's where kind of your skill set comes in, doesn't it?
1: Indeed, yeah. I mean, salespeople are invariably chameleons. Mm. They they develop a skill to be able to modify and mask mm. to match their audience. Mm. Because selling is all about building rapport and building relationships. And mm. the quicker you can do that, the likelihood is you're going to be better at it. Yeah, you're going to earn more so money, aren't you? You're going to earn more money, mm. yeah? So when they're in an interview, you have what you call an interview mask. Right, for an hour for an hour and a half it's quite easy to be somebody you're not mm. to c- maintain that
0: through it, through in, through induction and and uh what's your first
1: 3 months of indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah yeah probation it, period probation period is a lot lot harder to do yeah. so you see the real individual start to materialize yeah, yeah. equally it's very interesting that you t- in terms of sales people ring me up and say i need a salesperson mm. we're not all the same no it depends on what you're selling. It depends how you're selling. Who you're selling to. Who you're selling to. Yeah. Mm. So that's again where the science just starts to say, okay, you know, somebody comes to me and says, I want a salesperson. I need to understand what they're selling, how they're selling, who they're selling it to, and then we can work. But it's almost reverse engineering. But I think you're also
0: looking at, you know, what's the dynamics of the existing team as well? Because, you know, it takes one really bad appointment in a small sales team to cause absolute havoc doesn't it in terms of like you say culture politics you bring somebody in who's who's the wrong fit and the people who are already doing a really good job suddenly uh, they've had their nose bent out of joint and they may start to leave so it's a crucial thing to get right isn't it really yeah yeah yeah,
1: fundamentally Mm. and appointing the manager isn't always the best person Mm. in terms of their selling skills their technical skills their knowledge doesn't necessarily mean They'll be able to lead and manage people. It's a very different uh, requirement. Isn't it? One of my favourite assessments—I well, say
0: favourite—one of the ones I've been exposed to quite a bit with different organisations is the—is the, the three hundred and sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea of a three hundred and sixty, um, but they are—they are potentially dangerous in the wrong hands, aren't they? They're, they're often used, um, often misused, and just give us your take on a on a three hundred and sixty as, as a as an assessment option.
1: I would go back a stage, Nick. I would say the, the value of a 360 has to be in how it's communicated. It's going to be implemented. Mm. So it isn't a tool to be beating people over the head with. It, in my view, it shouldn't be done at appraisal time. It should be done at a separate point in the year. Mm. And 360s can be really powerful, but you need to be able to trust both the respondents and the the people that are actually going to get the feedback. Mm. Um once that's the case and you've you've positioned it correctly, it's it's all about the pre delivery. It's about getting it right, getting sure the communication's there, making sure there's buy in from the top of the organization. So for me a three sixty should start with the board. Mm. If they're not prepared to get involved, then why should people further down the business and get involved?
0: Well, culturally, when I've worked with some big organizations, I've worked at sort of sub-senior leadership team level I've worked at board level etc but when I've worked with sub-senior leadership team level for example i have often had the frustration well it's okay us doing this but if they're not doing
1: it there's no
0: point so I guess you're right culturally the 360 needs to be um, embedded and cascade I hate the word cascaded but you know what I mean cascaded across the organization have you ever seen them being badly used the three sixty? Yes. (laughs) Yes,
1: <laughs> but I've seen assessments generally being badly used.
0: Give, know, give, give us give, give us give us a give us a story for the listeners and viewers about you know the the, the worst effects of somebody having a, a three sixty that was badly managed or badly handled.
1: Often with the three sixty, somewhere in the report it would say, "Tell us about the strengths of this individual. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this individual's weaknesses or development needs." Yeah, the worst situation is somebody goes straight to <laughs> the development needs. <laughs> Yeah, they get given the document in advance. Mm. They flick through it. They go straight to wherever it says this person needs X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's it's just poorly managed and delivered <laughs> in that sense. So I actually, when when I'm delivering 360, I won't issue the report until after mm. the feedback session. Yeah, you present
0: and, you're presenting you're presenting the, the 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 crux of it, the
1: highlights of it in correct. in, a, in a, a controlled environment, aren't you? Really? Correct. Yeah. So I, th- I think that would be the main thing for me is, is the communication, the pre-delivery, mm. and then actually making sure that people get feedback with with any assessment, 360 probably more so, mm. but, but being able to know that there is a conversation to be had. Mm. And everybody has development needs. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: whether you're the MD of a business, a, a small, medium-sized owner, a, a, a de- department head or whatever it might be. So... Let me take you to the senior directors. There's a, there's a phrase you use on your LinkedIn profile. It said you work with senior directors at the top of their organisation because it can be a very lonely place sometimes. Yeah. So, in your experience, what are the benefits of, of of your approach, and what results can you help to influence with a a senior director who may feel inverted commas lonely?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. You know, when, when I took my father's business over as an as the MD of a business of I think we had about 70 employees. Um, you speak to your accountant, you speak to your bank manager, but on a very formal level. Mm. And, and it's always going to be about how the business is performing invariably. I think the important thing when people come and talk to me is they can put forward their ideas in a, in a safe environment. Mm. And that just allows them to perhaps do a little bit of brainstorming, do a little bit of mind mapping, and... Uh, from a person looking outside in i can challenge mm. in in a safe environment i can say well have you thought about this have you thought about that that's an unusual sort of statement tell me more because because they're not on do not open themselves up to
0: potential weakness in their eyes of their colleagues i guess are they?
1: no very much so it, it's a safe environment it's a protected environment it's it's you know as i say 30 odd years of business experience in a variety of roles mm. And and the fascinating thing working in in the business I was in before is I have probably sat in, I don't know, five, six hundred different boardrooms. Mm. That gives you exposure to a whole load of information and knowledge and expertise and variety of ways of doing things mm. that the smaller SME business owner can come to me and say, well, this is what I want to do, mm. but I'm not quite sure how to get there. And you've
0: absorbed the probably the experience of that somewhere else in your in your career previously so it, it's useful I, I, I like the idea of that being the kind of the sounding board or the critical friend or whatever it might be in terms of that uh that lonely place of running a business because people run businesses accidentally sometimes don't they? oh, indeed. They're, they're not they're not it wasn't part of a career plan it just happened for all sorts of reasons so I've got one final question for you um I like to finish the podcast quite often with a a bit of a, a, a golden bullet type of approach. So what would be the one piece of advice you would give a business owner or a senior management team if you wanted to develop a high-performing, engaged workforce across their business?
1: Really, really difficult. <laughs> right. <laughs> really difficult because they need to understand the business. Mm-hmm. They need to understand... For, for me, there's a number of things. It's about meeting the needs of those individuals. Mm-hmm. So treating people as individuals... Uh, So you you talk about a workforce, let's say there's 50 people in the business, it's about talking to each of those individuals, making sure that their needs are being met, Mm -hmm. making sure that they're engaged, making sure that, uh, and not everybody's needs are different, so you're going to have to mix and match. You know, you you might find somebody wants an extra day's holiday, Mm. you might find somebody wants an extra 50 quid. Yeah. It's, it's just finding those little traits. I worked with an MD a long, long time ago when I when I was in the retail business, and he used to take a chocolate bar into the staff when he went into the stores. Mm. It was peanuts. You know, it was at that time 15, 20 pence or yeah. whatever it was. And the Mars bars were bigger in those days <laughs> as well, Paul, weren't they? <laughs> Yeah, but it made a difference. The staff felt... That was what they should need: a recognition, bit of recognition, bit of bit value. Of bit, yeah. bit of value. Mm. So, so that would be my tip: is, mm. is treat people as individuals mm. and really, really concentrate on listening and being quite open and probably being a little bit. You'll you'll see that in a lot of senior roles, people get quite. Um, they get the power. Bug. Mm. Yeah, and to try and be a little bit more humble, mm. to try and be a little bit more aware and just allow people to do what they want and give them the freedom and the autonomy to, to do their own thing. Excellent. Listen, Paul, that's been absolutely fascinating. I hope our audience have, uh, have
0: picked up some really valuable tips there. It's not all about science. It's not all about assessment, but, you know, they can certainly help any organization if they're looking to develop their people, develop their team, recruit, retain, and, uh, and thrive. So, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on board at the, uh, the impact sessions podcast and, uh, We'll, we'll see you later.
1: Thanks very much, Nick. And it is all about the people. Excellent. Definitely. Thank you. Cheers.